Amen. Good morning, Real Life. How are y'all doing? Yeah. It's so good seeing you here. Non-runners among us, I guess, right? Bloomsdays today, and we're not exercising, so go us. Good job, right? Uh, if we haven't met before, my name is Grayson. I am the group pastor here at Real Life, and I am so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful that God brought you and that I'm looking out and seeing all your happy faces today. Um, we have next Sunday two wonderful things to celebrate. First off, Mothers. It's Mother's Day next Sunday, and we are so excited to celebrate the hard work that all of you put into raising kids and making sure that they not only survive but thrive. Also next Sunday, because the heart of moms is a generous heart, it's a giving heart, we're going to have a representative from Compassion International here, and we're going to do a round of child sponsorships for kids in Ethiopia, where we have our church plant. And the reason why I love talking about this is a couple years ago, we did one of these, uh, these sponsorships, and my wife and I actually sponsored a little girl. Her and her grandma will be on the screen behind you, and I got to go and meet her in January. So that, her name is Makeda. She is the sweetest little thing in the world, and I remember as my wife and I were looking at all these faces and, of kids and praying over them, God, for some reason, just continued to highlight Makeda over and over again. And so we started sponsoring her and uh, got to write back and forth. So cool. They have a translator that does all the work for you. And little did I know that I would actually get to meet her in person this January. So when I went over to Ethiopia, I heard some of her story. We had a translator. And as it turns out, they are a family that is deeply committed to Jesus. But Makeda's story is pretty sad because she, when on the day she was born, her mom ditched and was done with her. She was gone. They haven't seen her, heard from her, don't even know if she's alive anymore. Her dad, kind of in the picture, working in another place in Addis Ababa, the, the capital of Ethiopia there, occasionally, maybe once every few months, checks in and sees his little girl. But for all intents and purposes, she has no parents. So her grandma took her in. And her grandma also lives with three of her, her aunts and uncles, all in a tiny house that's probably no bigger than most of our dining rooms. Tiny little place. So Makeda has a rough story. But what I love is that she and her grandma are full of faith. While I was there, Makeda actually sang me a couple of songs in Amharic, the, the national language in Ethiopia. And I took the recording back to the person we were staying with. Her name was Tigist. And she said, hey, you want me to translate that for you? And I said, yeah. She says, here's the gist of what she's singing. She's saying, God, I don't blame you. I don't blame you for what's going on in my life, for the difficulty, for the sorrow. I don't blame you at all. Rather, God, I trust you to provide and care for me. And as I was getting to know these two, her grandma told me, yeah, we had been praying, just desperate for God, desperate that he would show up because I don't have money to feed Makeda. I can't send her to school. There's no way she would get that. And so we were praying and praying that God would provide for her, and then you and your wife showed up. Meanwhile, we're like, hey, yeah, we'll sponsor a kid, right? Like, for us, it's all casual, and this sounds like a great thing. Little did we know that we were actually God's answer to a prayer spoken halfway across the world. That's why this is so cool. This is why this is a, it's an opportunity for us to be a blessing to those who don't have so my encouragement to you is come ready next week. Come ready to be a, a blessing halfway across the world in Ethiopia to a bunch of kids. And maybe someday if we go over on a mission trip to our church plant, you can go and meet your kids too. So uh, I would love for you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to be there today. Um, it's kind of in the midway of your Bible. You can look it up in your, your table of contents or Bible app. Uh, Jeremiah, we have been in a series called A New Thing. 
when Jesus invades our hearts, when we allow him in, when he saves us and redeems us, he's not going to take what we have there and say, okay, yeah, I can adjust and adapt that. He says, no, I'm going to make all things new. Everything, top to bottom, renewed. And that's a challenging process for all of us. Uh, We're talking about five different spheres of our lives that we exist in. One is our abiding relationship with Jesus. That's what we're going to finish talking about today. My relationship with Jesus is going to impact all the other relationships in my life. One is the church. One is the family and home. One is the world. And one is the spiritual realm. Next week, we're going to start talking about the church. But today, I have the honor of being able to finish up the abiding in Christ sphere. You have a handout on your chairs or that you were given on the way in. Uh, My encouragement is you can use the graphic on the front to interact with it. Today, though, we're going to talk about spiritual disciplines. And I think about Makeda and her grandmother, the great and deep faith that they had. They were continually seeking God, praying, part of a church body, and seeking, seeking to be close to God in a deep and personal way. And because of that, God met them right where they were at and continues to meet them. That's God's invitation to us, but we are American. And as Americans, we have a cultural value of busyness, (laughs) of being so full. So in Jeremiah, what God's going to do is he's going to start to address the heart of busyness and the heart of us pursuing him through spiritual discipline. Uh, Jeremiah 29 is all about Jeremiah writing a letter. He's in Babylonia. He's been taken into exile, captivity. And there are a bunch of people still in Jerusalem. And he's writing this letter to all the people in Jerusalem and the people in exile about what's going on, right? This is a crazy time as people are being deported and exported from Israel. And at the beginning of the letter, which we read several weeks ago, he says, look, wherever you land, live and work for the benefit of that area. Don't give up and don't stop just because you're in this difficult situation, We're going to pick up in verse 10 and continue the letter that Jeremiah is writing. He says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. 70 years. Are the people that are being written to probably going to be alive at that point? No, not likely, right? In 70 years, you'll finally go back to Israel. Now, tell me if you recognize the the, uh, next statement here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Anyone ever heard that verse before? Yeah, I'd say that's probably number one cross-stitched, stuck-on-a-wall verse of all time, right? Put it on a bumper sticker everywhere. It's so cool to that God has plans for us. But there's more to that verse than that. We're going to redeem it here a little bit, okay? I have plans for you. Notice the plans for you are you're going to be an exile for 70 years. Congratulations. Okay, there's more that's going on here, and, and I want to see what's happening. Uh, Verse 12, then you will call on me and you'll come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So Jerusalem's going down, Israel's going down, you're all getting deported to Babylonia. That's how it's going to go. And for 70 years, you're going to be in exile and in captivity. That's the plan that I have for you. Eventually, you'll come back. It'll mostly be your children and your grandchildren. But eventually, I'm going to bring you back and restore what I've been trying to do the whole time. This is written to real people in a real place in a real time with a specific plan and purpose that God has for them. So 
we need to be careful when we claim it. But God is also saying it's specifically a plan and a purpose given to those who seek him with all their heart. Did you catch that? If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. What happens if you are just going to seek God half-heartedly? What's going to happen to those people? He goes on, and this is, this is a hard passage, so buckle up. You may say the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, but this is what the Lord says about the king who sits on David's throne. That's the king in Jerusalem that hasn't been deported yet. And all the people who remain in this city, your fellow citizens who did not go with you into exile. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will send the sword, famine, and plague against them, and I will make them like figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. I'm sure all of you know exactly what a bad fig looks like, right? I will pursue them with the sword, famine, and plague, and will make them abhorrent to all the kingdoms of the earth, a curse and an object of horror, of scorn and reproach among all the nations where I drive them. For they have not listened to my words, declares the Lord, words that I sent to them again and again by my servants, the prophets, and you exiles have not listened either, declares the Lord. Who? That's a rough uh, section to that, right? I know the plans I have for you, right? Plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. If you're going to seek me wholeheartedly, if you're, if you're going to seek me half-heartedly, all bets are off, right? The, there's going to be difficulty and pain because I never intended for you to disconnect from me. I never intended for you to figure it out on your own. And if you noticed, one of the keys is did the person listen to God's voice or not. The wholehearted seeker listens for God's voice. The half-hearted seeker ignores or doesn't listen to God's voice. Did you catch that? Are we tracking? There's an ominous silence, okay? It's gonna be good though. It's gonna be good because God's heart is always that we connect with him, is always for good. He always wants us to grow. And when it comes to being wholeheartedly connected with God or half-heartedly connected with God, There's some straightforward ways to do it. And by the way, this isn't just an Old Testament concept in Revelation. Jesus is talking to one of the churches. He's like, hey, either be all in or all out. He says, be hot or cold, but don't be lukewarm. He says, if you're lukewarm, literally, I will vomit you out of my mouth. (laughs) So Jesus is also going to reinstate this idea. Don't be halfway with me. There's no one more miserable than a Christian who's halfway sin, we now know we can't enjoy it anymore, but we're not all in with Jesus, so we don't experience the peace and hope and joy that come through him. Halfway is the worst place to be. And spiritual disciplines are something that a lot of us, when we hear the word discipline, some of us kind of shudder, right? We don't like the idea. Spiritual disciplines are really about creating a space for God. I have a, a, a picture full of ping pong balls up here, and I think about our lives this way. This is God, right? This is God and his influence in our life. This is all the rest of stuff we have going on in our lives, right? Some of you are probably stressful just thinking about the idea of a spiritual discipline and time and all that, because this is what your life looks like. Not only can you not fit it in there, but you have more than enough as it is, right? This, this represents so many of us in America. Even though God is clearly more important, more significant, we're trying to figure out how do we shoehorn him into our life somehow? Are you tracking with me? Spiritual disciplines really are about creating a way for God to enter into our life. Some of you out there are so stressed. You're like, Grayson, you don't know my situation. I'm a mother of three under five years old. I work 80 hours a week, you know. I don't know your situations. But today, my hope is that you don't shut your brain off, but instead recognize there are creative ways to still engage with God, even during hectic seasons of our lives. So my hope is that this is gonna be really practical for you. Uh, On the handout that I gave you, 
that's your resource. We don't have time to talk about all the spiritual disciplines, and that's not even all of them. There are so many hundreds of them, but that's a great place to get started. I'd encourage you to look at that and read through it and maybe try some of those in your own time with Jesus. Spiritual disciplines are so important because think about this. If I have no space in my life, how's God going to work? How's he going to speak and how's he going to move in my life if I've created no space for him? When I do create space, he can do that. It's just, it's basically, it's a matter of physics, right? There's no space, therefore, he cannot occupy my life. Spiritual disciplines are a way of me saying, God, you're so important to me. I'm going to create space so that you can fill it and you can work and move through it. Are you tracking? Sound good? Okay, let's, let's talk about spiritual disciplines because it can be really difficult for us to grapple with this. There are two different things that are important when we're thinking about disciplines because this is all about seeking God with all of my heart. Number one, I want to give God quality time. Quality time. Okay, there's a couple of brothers in the Bible. If you want to read this later, Genesis chapter 4, it's a rough story because one of them kills the other brother, but the guy's names are Cain and Abel. And both of them bring an offering to God. Cain is a farmer, and he brings some of the vegetables and fruits from his land, and he gives them to God. His brother Abel is a shepherd, and he takes and kills the best of his flock, brings God the fat portions from his flock, the best of them. And what happens is God looks with favor on Abel, but disfavor on Cain, which, you know, to me just means God clearly likes bacon better than kale, right? I think that's, I think that's, where, that's not what he's getting at. Did you notice the difference between these sacrifices? Cain says, I'm bringing you some of the produce of my field. Abel says, I'm bringing you the best, the fat portions. And so God looks on favor with Abel, but on Cain, he doesn't. And if you think about this, this, this would probably make a lot of sense, right? Say you're, you're married and, and your spouse wants to celebrate anniversary and goes and just finds some crinkled, gross, desiccated flowers, right? And brings them and tosses them in your lap and says, there you go, happy anniversary, how are you going to feel? Right? There's, there's going to be a conversation. Are you tracking with me here? Conversation with your spouse. You don't feel good at all right there. But the reality is a lot of times when we bring our offering to God, whether that's time spent with him or our worship on Sunday mornings, we bring him dried out desiccated flowers and say, here you go, God, at least I showed up. Does that, anyone else resemble that? Because I definitely do that too, right? That, that's so disrespectful to God. God says, I came and I died for you, and I love you so much. Will you give me quality time? And what I think about with my own worship is how I worship and what I bring to God is a, ref a direct reflection of what I think about him. If I think God really is the almighty creator of the universe, who breathed everything into existence, who saw me and formed me in my mother's womb full of passion and purpose and potential, and even when I went and tried to derail that story by sinning and by walking away from him and by running from him, really, he said, I still love you. I still love you with everything I've got. In fact, I'm going to come down and I'm going to die on the cross for you. Do I really believe that that's true? And not only that, I'm going to wipe away all your sins. You're going to live with me forever. I'm going to give you my presence to live in your heart. I'm going to give you everything you need for life and godliness. If I believe that's true does my worship reflect that? What, what time I give God, the quality of it, does it reflect that? Or 
am I saying, well, I can pencil you in for 15 minutes, you know, in the morning. And so I'm married and I just think about my wife and imagine if I tried to do that with my wife, right? Many of you are married out there. If I said to my wife, hey, sweetie, you know what? It's, it's just a busy time. I've got, I've got maybe five minutes at 6.30 I can throw you, which my wife is not a morning person. That makes it even more funny, right? I can, I can put you in there briefly and then, uh, yeah, and then we'll, I'll see you again tomorrow. How's that going to go? Right? I'm going to be sleeping on the couch or outside or somewhere, right? This is not going to go well. Of course I wouldn't do that with my marriage because my wife is the most important human relationship I have in the world. So I'm going to prioritize her and I'm going to give her quality time, right? But sometimes I do that with God. I tell him, I'll pencil you in. I tell him, I'll see you tomorrow, right? I tell him, hey, you know what? There are other things. I've got a lot going on here, God. And so we're going to have to pause. We're going to have to go on a break for just a minute. I don't always give God quality either. And what I think about is, if I really want to say, God, you're the one, you're the one who's important, one of the practical things I can do is just be fully present wherever I go. Am I here on Sunday morning? Then I'm here. I know life is busy. Sometimes I'm thinking about what comes after the service or when I'm with my small group, what comes after group or when I'm with God in the morning, here's what my day is going to look like, right? Sometimes I get so distracted by those things that all of a sudden I'm not really giving God my attention. I'm just there going through emotion. But God's really challenged me to open up my heart and be present wherever I go, not to do things accidentally, not to do things just because I should, but to show up and say, God, you are worth everything I have. You're the one I love, and I want you to move and speak and work in my life. I'm not going to just mail it in. I'm going to do it on purpose. And here's the cool thing. When I prioritize God that way, when I reshuffle my life so that God can have that primary position, God shows up. When I'm expecting that God's going to make it, he shows up in a powerful, miraculous way. That's when, now that I've created space, he's able to enter in and speak and move because my heart really is tuned to him. I really am showing up for him. Quality is so important. Without it, nothing's going to matter. Nothing's going to work. God is not going to respond to me if I seek him half-heartedly. Remember, that's what Jeremiah said. Wholehearted pursuit of God results in what? You'll find him if you seek him with all of your heart. And boy, when we find God, he changes everything. He's going he's gonna to take all of these things in my life that are important and give them meaning beyond anything I could have imagined. All the relationships, my wife and the people, all of you and the people that I bump into at the, the store, all of these relationships are going to take a new luster and beauty to them because God is now infusing everything with his presence. See, when I actually give him the quality of my time, he revolutionizes my life, fills me with joy and peace and purpose that I couldn't have by just the rat race of life as it stands. Does that make sense? Quality. I want to bring God a good offering, the fat portions. I don't want to bring him the leftovers. The other thing I think about is I want to give God quantity of time. And this is where a lot of us starts to get real stressed out and cross our arms and say, okay, this guy's crazy. I don't have quantity of time. Do you know my life and I don't know your life, right? Quantity of time, though, we, we think about time as something that, okay, I'll make time for what's important. Have you ever heard that or said that, I'll make time? Do you know that that's not possible, right? How many of you have succeeded at manufacturing time 
like squeeze in an extra hour in your day, another day in your week. Um, if you have, come and talk to me afterward. I need to learn your ways, right? It's not possible. We all have a standard 24-hour day. We can't make time. What we can do, though, is we can carve out time or allocate time. We can say, this is yours, and nothing else is going to go into that. Really, spiritual disciplines are about us making those allocations to God, saying, okay, I'm not putting you on top. I'm actually putting you right in the middle where you belong, right there where you're the priority and everything else can be in orbit around you. God, I want to give you my time. And one of the stories I think about, this is marriage is just such a great illustration of all of this because all of these things, by the way, take notes, apply to marriage in that relationship. When I first started coming here at Real Life, um, I, I was volunteering in, in the uh, youth team, and it was wonderful. I loved, loved the high school guys that I was working with. I was here on Wednesday nights, and then I led a youth small group on Thursday nights. I had my connect group on Friday nights with other adults. And then usually one other night a week, I was connecting with the guys from youth. I was very busy. Um, Sundays were great. Working full-time, it was wonderful, except that I forgot about someone. Uh, turns out my wife kind of wanted to be around me occasionally, right? And I had created very little space for that to happen. And even the evenings that I was available, right, they weren't great quality time because I was always thinking about this or that. Or, And so my wife lovingly, gently, and yet firmly at the same time said, this is crazy. This cannot continue. Like, this is not healthy. And then I said, you're right. We need to figure this out. So what my wife and I did was I said, look, you are a bigger priority than anything else. Even though there's a lot of great things that I'm doing, you're a bigger priority than those things. So what we did was we made some rules. We said, okay, two nights a week is the most. We'll have our connect group. You'll have youth. That's it. Two nights a week. The other five nights belong to my wife with occasional exceptions, rare exceptions. We also said Friday. Neither of us works Friday. That's our date day. That's also my Sabbath day where I don't work and I connect with God. We're going to have one day that we spend together. Some of you have tried to reach out to me, call or text me on Friday. I, I'm not, I won't apologize for it, but you won't get me because I actually leave my phone at home. I turn my phone off. I don't, I don't respond or answer anything because my wife is that important to me. See, I had to reorganize my priorities because they didn't reflect God's priorities for my life. My wife was that important. If that's true for marriage and my wife, and by the way, that has helped my relationship with my wife tremendously, right? If that's true about marriage, how much more so about my relationship with God? If I don't give him that space and I don't give him that time, he's not going to have anywhere to work and move. And yes, this involves saying no to a lot of really good things. There's so many good things out there, and it's hard to say no to something that you look at and say objectively that's a good thing. But sometimes we have to say no to a lot of good things to say yes to the best things, the most important things. Does that make sense? That's not easy, though. Any other overcommitters in here? Because I'm definitely one of those, right? It's so easy to say yes to things. But Jesus is inviting us to say no to some things so that he can enrich all the rest of the really good things he has for us. I've known people who have made huge sacrifices, like quitting a job. This job is eating my lunch. I'm there 80 hours a week. And it's time for me to say no to that so that I can say yes to Jesus. And what I love is when we are committed to that level to God, he's going to figure it out. He's got so many resources. He's going to bring the right thing along at the right time because that's the kind of God we serve and worship. Uh, anyone ever heard of Jim Elliott? He's, he was a missionary. Uh, he actually died. He, 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 
We might say he wasn't a very effective missionary because he died the first day on the mission field, but he was so effective in his faithfulness to God. And what happened is all the wives and children of the guys who died there, they came back later and God really moved among this people group in South America. But Jim Elliott, when he was in college, he wrote something that is just really powerful. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, like our lives and our possessions and our finances and all these sorts of things, to gain that which he cannot lose, which is Jesus, which is eternity. See, Jim Elliott got it. We have to make some big sacrifices sometimes in order to allow Jesus to have that primary place in our lives. And that's not easy. It's not easy. But the power of it is when we do that, God is able to work in ways that we couldn't ever have imagined that he would work in. He's able to enter into our lives and bring meaning where there was no meaning. Where we're hectic and frantic, he's able to bring peace and joy. God is so good at that. I want to get really practical for a moment, though, because, yes, there's still those out, out of you out there who are like, yeah, but I, you, you don't understand. I literally have no time for anything. And what I would encourage you to be is be creative because, actually, you do have time. You just don't realize it or you don't think about it as a possibility. Uh, one thing, when I was a kid, real little, I remember my mom and dad, every night, they'd tuck me into bed and they'd sing me songs, worship songs. Uh, my dad taught lots of vacation Bible schools and camps and things like that. And, and they, my dad didn't have the greatest voice, but he sang with gusto and made it fun. And I remember growing up having this solid biblical foundation just because my parents would worship. And I think about that. I can worship when I'm around home. I can worship when I'm at work just singing and, and praising God. I can worship in so many different places while I'm doing something. It's not something that I have to carve out a big chunk of time. I can actually carry an attitude of worship with me wherever I go. Some of you probably aren't singers. It's okay. I'm not either, but I make a joyful noise, right? Probably better that you don't sit by me during worship. Um, uh, but that's okay. If, you, if worship isn't your thing, my encouragement is God wants to make it your thing. Allow him to do that. But there's also lots of other things that you can do. I talked several months ago about the practice of the presence of God. And this is something a, a monk named Brother Lawrence, you should get his book, it's fantastic. But he started doing this in a monastery centuries ago. And the idea was he was busy, he was working in the kitchen, daily life. But everywhere he went, he carried God's presence with him, recognizing that, yeah, wherever I go, God is there too. And he was constantly reminding himself, God is here and God is moving. He was in communication with him as much as possible. God, I love you. I'm so thankful I get to clean this pot in your name. Come and help me and give me the power to do this. Everywhere he went, he just infused it with God's presence because God was already there. All he had to do was reach out and touch God's presence. And he says what happened is his mundane chores and tasks became incredibly meaningful. He didn't actually create any special time. He said, I'm just going to bring you with me wherever I go. And by the way, everyone in this room can do that. We can learn how to start to engage with God at that level. That's something we don't have to just weave into our lives. Another one I love is Bible memorization. And I know many of you just got a knot in your stomach as soon as I said that. Like, I hate it. I don't want to do that, right? Memorization's hard. It is. But the powerful thing about God's word is when we hide it in our heart, God can use it to do incredible things. It, Psalms even talks about, I've hidden your word in my heart so that I won't sin against you, God. God's going to use what I've given him access to. <laughs> what, if I have put God's word in my heart, he can bring it out and he can do really powerful things from it. One of the techniques I like to use is I'll take a note card 
in a verse that's really powerful. Maybe it's Jeremiah 29, 13, right? If you seek me, you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. And I want to memorize that verse. I'll write it on the note card, stick it in my back pocket. And then as I go through my day, whenever I get a few minutes, whenever I'm on break at work or lunch or doing something or just walking to my car, I can pull it out and I can read it several times and just think on the words. See, it's a very simple and easy way to weave it into your day. And what's, what's happening then is I'm touching base with God all throughout my day. God is speaking to me as I bring his word up. There's another one, and this one really helps with this, by the way. So this might be a powerful one. It's called simplicity, the act of simplicity. And here's what that involves. And you might not like it, but let me tell you, it's good. It's so good. Simplicity says, my life is way too complex, and I'm going to simplify things. I've known people who have sold their cars and just walked to work from there on out, took mass transit, said, nope. No insurance payments, no upkeep on the vehicle. I'm just going to trust God and be satisfied with what he has. I know people have shut off their internet, have gotten rid of their TVs, all these things that bring complexity. One guy I know actually spent an entire month just eating rice, nothing else, just rice. Why? Didn't have to meal prep, didn't have to plan, just cooked rice, and he was fine. The act of simplicity is quite intentionally creating a space for God to fill. I'm not going to worry about all of these things, and now you have room to work and play in my life. So powerful. I also think about dead time. We all have dead time in our lives. Anyone out there drive? You guys are champs. So many of you walk to work. I'm impressed, right? Like, you must have, like, massive calves and, right? Okay, I'm going to assume that a lot of you who didn't raise your hands do drive, right? Okay, we drive, did you know that that's dead time that can be used to connect with Jesus? And that's something that I love. Some of you, you might listen to worship songs. My encouragement is sing along and really spend that time worshiping with them. For me, I realized I was listening to a lot of radio and the noise wasn't helping me. I just, I don't have anything happening in my car. It's just quiet. My half hour drive from Deer Park down and back up after work. It's just quiet. And it's been such a good time for me to lay my day before the Lord for me to ask him, what, what is your priority? And sometimes just to sit in silence and just allow him to speak into that moment. Other dead times, you, hopefully more hands go up on this one. Anybody shower? I still didn't get all the hands, and I'm a little concerned, right? Like, um, you might need to shuffle some seats down from some people here. But showering, right? That's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, however long your shower is, just with God. What a great start your day. God, I'm desperate for you. God, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. And God, help me not to forget that you're with me. S powerful prayers, but simple prayers that I can do while I'm just in the shower, right? Chores, who does chores? There are probably some spouses nudging each other right now. Like, yeah, who does to do chores, right? Chores are a great time. It's something mindless. You can shut your brain off and just do it. Mowing the lawn or vacuuming or dishes. or Those are awesome times that can be powerful and profound in your connection with Jesus. See, we have opportunities in time, but are we willing to be creative with it? Those handouts that, that I provided for you have a lot of options of ways that you can be creative with how you engage with God. See, God's not far from us, and he's right there, and he wants to engage with us personally. See, quality of time, God gives us his quality time, right? He died on the cross for us. How much greater quality can you get? quantity of time. Think about Jeremiah 29. 
God says, I'm watching you and I have plans and I have so much in my heart for you that I'm excited for in 70 years and do this and I'm going to be with you. God is giving his quality and his quantity of time. Did you know that you can reach out and speak to him whenever? And he's there. And he's keeping galaxies spinning out there. But he's there for you personally. That's how much he loves you. Are you there for him personally? Do you want to be? Because this is how we do it. Spiritual disciplines are not a boring, dry, difficult thing. They're ways of us saying, God, I need you and I want you. Please come. There's a guy named Jerry Bridges. He's a, he, was, uh, he, he died in 2016, but he was a theologian and just this amazing godly guy. And he had this example that he gave about it. Most of us are good with dependency on God. Like, I can't save myself. I can't do this. God, I need your strength. I need your encouragement. But discipline's harder for us because it involves hard work. And here's his example. He says, and you can close your eyes and listen or just, just follow along with me here. Think of yourself as seated in a jet passenger plane flying 35,000 feet above the earth. Suppose, and I know this can't happen in real life, the pilot were to say through the speaker system, folks, uh, we're in real trouble. One of our wings is about to break off. Okay, imagine the panic in that moment. Which one of the wings would you rather lose, the left one or the right one? Should we do like a vote, a show of hands? That's a ridiculous question, right? Which, which wing would you rather lose? Neither, thank you, right? Because a plane needs at least two wings to function, right? No plane can fly with just one wing. Both are absolutely necessary. You see the fuselage where you're sitting, the two wings and the tail assembly. As you look at the two wings, you see the words dependence on the left wing and discipline on the right wing. This airplane illustrates one of the most important principles in the Christian life. Just as the airplane must have both wings to fly, so we must exercise both discipline and dependence in the pursuit of holiness. See, the point of the airplane illustration is that we must not try to carry out our responsibilities in our own strength and willpower. We must depend on the Holy Spirit to enable us. At the same time, we must not assume that we have no responsibility simply because we're dependent. God enables us to work, but he does not do the work for us. Are we dependent on God? Absolutely. If, if I believe my scripture for my next breath, I'm dependent on God. But am I disciplined? Am I seeking him and creating these opportunities for him to move or not? Or am I just hoping that he'll fly this plane with one wing? Many of us have tried to fly our planes with one wing for far too long. This is an invitation for God to bring you so much peace as he's the one who flies it. But we have to be willing to say, God, I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you my time. I want you here and to speak and to move in my life. Think about our world right now. Our world is desperate for something real, right? We look out at the world and what I see is brokenness and pain and difficulty, right? And lots of lies and deceit. Our world's looking for something real. And who's more real than Jesus? Nobody. Jesus is so real. And us as his church, we get the opportunity to show people what Jesus is like. But part of that requires us to be in deep relationship with Jesus, this abiding relationship that we've been talking about. I need to be in that level of relationship with him. When the world looks at the church so often, it says, sees people who are kind of mimicking Jesus as best they can people who really are, they're just trying to manufacture, fabricate something. 
the day in, day out discipline of seeking Jesus and allowing him to enter into our lives, that's what's gonna make Jesus real in our lives. Because God's not holding back. He says, I want you to reflect my son perfectly. I want you to show the world something different. You and I have the opportunity to be those people, to show the world a different story. And it's these spiritual disciplines that can help us, these new habits that Jesus is working in our lives. I know some of you in the room, you don't know Jesus. You, you are not sure who he is in the first place. You don't have a relationship with him. My encouragement to you is this is the God who did come down and die for you. This is the God who wants to change everything in your life for the better. If that's you today and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus, the king who died on your behalf, your next step is baptism. Or if you haven't been baptized yet, we'll have a team in the back with shirt shorts, towels, warm water up front. We would love to celebrate that with you. For the rest of us, my encouragement is to take that handout with you, to start praying and reflecting and saying, God, how can I start? Where do I start? What's, what's the new thing you want to do in my life? Where can I create space? Because God, I want you to fill it. For you, the invitation is there, and it's all possible if you're willing to do it. So what do you think of real life? Are you ready? Are you willing to let God in? Are you willing to create that space? Because if so, God's gonna do something you never thought possible. God, thank you so much for your word, and thank you that you have given us of yourself so fully, so freely, that we don't have to worry about whether you love us. We don't have to worry about whether you care about us or have time for us but you make time for us all the time. Lord, you talk about us, we're the apple of your eye, the one that you're always focused on and looking at. God, I pray for us that we would drop, we would drop all of the craziness of lives that are too busy, that we would walk away from being overcommitted, that we would say, God, we just want you right at the center of it all. God, please give us the strength to prioritize you. Please give us the creativity, the discipline, to seek you first. Lord, we need you. We love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name today. Amen. You can stand. We're going to continue with worship. If your next step is to get baptized, head to the back and our team will meet with you there.